Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Let's get it started in here. And the bass keeps running, running, and running. Five seconds left in the game. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the opening line. We hope you're excited. We are brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at Believe.com. Let's get ready for the show. What's up, what's up everybody? This is the opening line with your host Wits and Roz. We've got a very special guest on the show today. He's a pro basketball player, alumni of the Wisconsin Badgers and Deerfield High School where Wits and I are alum from as well. He is also the only person on this planet that has dunked a basketball over my head, and uh, he will remain that only person. He has also hit one of the craziest <laughs> shots I've ever seen live, um, and we're going to get into that shortly. But everybody, welcome on the show, Duye Dukin. How you doing today? Good, man. Good. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, we're super stoked. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot going on, so there's no way that you remember dunking on me at the SAC Center, but I remember this day very vividly. It was a winner. All my friends are there, so the embarrassment level's high. To this day, though, I think I was off to the side. I think I was very close to blocking you, but you did. You finished the jam in my face, and uh, I live I live that every day from Wits and all my other friends, and uh, it was a pleasure, but one day I hope to get back on the court and compete with you again. Um, we're also, we were also alluding, Wits and I, were we were freshmen when you were there, um, you hit this magnificent shot against Waukegan, against Jeremy Richmond, who was honestly the villain of the whole North Shore. I, I want to know if you if you still think about that shot at all. It was like a half-court shot, sending us into overtime. What was kind of going through your head at that point in time? Because to us, we went absolutely nuts. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I do think about the uh, high school days pretty often. Uh, it was a really special group that we had. Uh, you know, it's the kids you grew up with pretty much. And uh, we built that special bond ever since we were in sixth and seventh grade. Um, and to be able to, you know, make our way all the way to varsity and kind of blossom together uh, was a great experience. But specifically that game, uh, I just remember, I think it was Quan Connor was at the free throw line. Uh, he had two free throws. They were up two at that point with like four, maybe five seconds left. And I was just hoping he would miss one just to give us a chance. Um, and sure enough, he made the first. I'm like, oh, you've got to give me this one. Uh, sure enough, he ended up missing it. Uh, took, I think, three, maybe four dribbles just past half court and then pulled up and <laughs> made it. <laughs> and then the whole place just went absolutely nuts. Um, so, I mean, great, great memories, without a doubt. Right, yeah. Honestly, I thought the bleachers were going to collapse. It was the closest I got to a college atmosphere until I went to college. Um, and you're, you're, that team was incredible, by the way. We, we loved it. I actually have to name my first child after David Panner. He, he came through on a bet as my gym leader. So uh, I'm gonna, David will be the name of my first son. Um, yeah, and we, sh- we shared a couple coaches. Uh, you had Coach Carpenter at Caruso. You led 
those great teams. And then Just, who is now just the biggest agent in the world. Um, I was kind of curious your thoughts on Coach Just moving from your guys' basketball coach to this mega agent now at CAA. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty crazy. Um, uh, honestly, I still remember, I think it was my sophomore, maybe junior year in college, um, and was just kind of talking to Coach Just, catching up on life. Uh, and, it, and it had just been after he uh, after he stepped away from coaching at Deerfield. And he's like, yeah, he's like, to be honest with you, I think I'm going to go go ahead and start being an agent. And I remember, I remember like kind of laughing and thought, I'm like, come on, man. Like, why? Well, for what, for what reason? He's like, I don't know. It's kind of always just been my passion, like whatnot. And I was like, all right, well, Hey, dude, if you, if you want to do it, you think you got a chance, why not? And fast forward, whatever, four or five years later and look where he is now. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And dude, that's an awesome story. So you were, you know, you were in all state player in high school and you know everybody knows you went on to play at wisconsin got to play in a couple final fours and a national championship um so what was it like you know in the recruiting process playing college basketball i know that you know your dad i'm sure had a big influence on you um you know throughout your life so can you just tell us a little bit about you know going to wisconsin and what that was like you know being a you know a star player at deerfield after that yeah so uh basically with the whole recruiting process um my situation was a little bit different uh, than everybody else's. I, uh, I kind of burst onto the scene really late. Uh, my freshman and sophomore year, I was kind of that awkward tall kid who was still trying to catch up with his body um, and figure out how the limbs properly move. <laughs> um, and so uh, right around my junior year, um, going into my senior year, um, that's when like the offers and the attention started to kind of build up. Um, and my goal kind of going into my senior year was I just wanted to be done with the recruiting process. I didn't want to deal with having to call coaches back during the season and have to worry about, you know, okay, this guy called, I have to call him back tonight. And this guy called, and honestly, like a lot of times you end up having the same conversation with the same coaches and it just gets to be annoying to be honest with you. Cause it's like, one coach will call and be like, oh, hey, can we talk about your last name? Or, hey, can we talk about, like, the playoffs? And you'll talk about, hey, talk about that. You'll hang up, call the next coach, and they'll talk about the same thing. Um, but I was fortunate enough, you know, I developed really close relationships with um, basically my three, three schools that it came down to at the end uh, with Arizona State, Wisconsin, and uh, New Mexico. Um, ironically enough, I think it was, like, three days before I ended up committing – uh, to Wisconsin, I got a phone call from uh, Tony Bennett, who was actually the first coach that ever recruited me. Uh, he came to an open gym at like six in the morning my sophomore year, back when he was at uh, Washington State, um, and he just kind of said, "Yeah, he's like, you're very intriguing. We'll keep an eye out on you." And then he calls me three days before I committed, and he's like, "Hey, he's like, I know it's been a while. We haven't talked, but he's like, I'm still interested. He's like, I'd love to offer you a scholarship to Virginia." You know, we'll fly you out for the weekend and we can get you committed by Monday. I'm like, damn, coach, like, I haven't heard from you in like two years. Um, I've built a relationship with all these other coaches. Um, you know, I don't think it's it's fair to me or these guys that I kind of just throw that out the window. Um, and I kind of just said, you know, obviously, thank you so much for considering me. Um, you know, I wish you obviously the best of luck uh, with, with your future and who you guys end up picking. But I think it's going to come down to those three schools. Um, and then kind of going through that process with those three, um, 
you know, looking at each program, I, I love New Mexico. Uh, I really liked Coach Alford. Um, obviously, you know, he has the, the basketball pedigree being that he played. He was an unbelievable All-American uh, at Indiana. I think he went on to play in the league for a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, they had a bunch of – they were, I think, ranked going into my senior in college. Um, and then they ended up being really good. Uh, one of my really close friends now ended up going there. Um, so we always joke about it. We could have been potentially teammates, uh, Tony Snell. And so hmm. that was New Mexico. I really liked the Mountain West Conference. I thought I could have fit my playing style, um, you know, up and down, run and gun. Uh, and that was kind of the same situation with Arizona State um, with the Pac-12. They also do the um, run and gun type system. Um, they wanted to obviously use my versatility. Um, I, love, I love the campus. I mean, you can't really turn down – 80 degrees all year round uh, and living in Tempe right outside of, of Phoenix. So um, the only thing that kind of um, I didn't like about those two locations was the fact that I had to fly four hours to get there. Um, and then moving on to Wisconsin, it was honestly, when I sat down and thought about it, it was a no brainer um, because I want, I didn't know how far basketball, basketball was going to be able to take me. Um, you know, obviously uh, everybody has dreams and aspirations of playing in the NBA to get it professionally. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that I had a proper backup. So having a good education that I can fall back on if things don't go right, God forbid, a bad injury or whatever. Um, and so I felt like Wisconsin was kind of the best of both worlds. You know, you get a great education. I'm close to home. It's only two hours, two hours, 10 minutes. Um, so I'm far enough where I feel like I'm away from home, but I'm also close enough that, you know, if I need to come home, I can. Um, and then of course the biggest reason, you know, playing in the big 10, you know, I think that's arguably been one of, if not the best uh, college basketball conferences over the last, you know, four or five years, um, and being able to be on national television, you're playing on ESPN, big 10 network, ESPN two CBS all the time. Uh, so the exposure that you get is crazy. Uh, and I felt like that opportunity was something that I, I definitely couldn't pass up on. Um, and then I, I forgot the next question. You guys wanted me to talk about uh, Wisconsin itself? Well, I guess kind of like it was Bo Ryan at the time. I was just kind of curious how that all went down when you did make that decision um, and if there was any other influences. I mean, I guess you just named those, but kind of like the day you committed and stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, ironically enough, I, uh, I was just leaving the high school. Um, it, like, it was a Wednesday in, I think, November. Um, and the whole plan was I was going to call uh, Coach Moore, who was basically the guy, the main reason why I chose to go to Wisconsin. Uh, I developed a relationship with him, and he was the one who really, really made me buy into Wisconsin. We developed a relationship talking all the time and stuff like that. I didn't really have an interaction with Coach Ryan. Um, he just, you know, I talked to him when I went on my visit up there, um, and he ended up offering me based off of like a tape that he saw of me. Um, so fast forward, you know, to that day in November, I'm leaving the high school and, uh, I told all the teams that I was going to like make my decision by Wednesday. So Wisconsin was the first school that I called and I called coach Ryan and, uh, he's like, uh, just, you know, you're on speakerphone with, uh, with me and coach Moore. And I was like, uh, all right, well, I just wanted to call you guys and let you know, you know, after a long thought, um, you know, I, I decided, me and my family and my coach, uh, that the best decision for me is to become a Wisconsin Badger. 
Um, and then immediately in the background, I heard clapping and a fist pump and then, or no, I didn't hear the fist pump, but then coach Ryan's like, yeah, you know, uh, coach Moore, coach Moore was super excited that he just got a, got a big fist pump and he's excited to have you. And obviously I am too. Um, and yeah, I mean, honestly, that was, that was kind of it. You know, I sat down with my family, my coach, coach just was in the process too. Um, and Wisconsin kind of just seemed to be the best option. And, you know, if you fast forward, to 2015 April, you know, we're, we're playing against arguably one of the best college teams that ever play undefeated. And, you know, that would have been my second trip to the final four. Um, I don't think anybody would have predicted that we would have had the success that we did uh, in my four or five years there. Yeah. I mean, then we're going to get right to that final four. Cause I mean, what I'm about to say is you were like Deerfield's biggest celebrity. I remember I was in gym class one day and you and Martin Kukoc coach come walk into the gym and start taking pictures. I'm assuming it's for sports illustrated. I was probably wrong at that time. And then you were made the superstar of end disguises. We don't back down. I mean, I still watch that music video to get hyped every day. Um, but yet, but you went to two final fours and I'm curious about the whole March madness process. Cause it's insane. It is six games in such a fast period of time. Um, and March madness, it, it is madness. So I was kind of curious for you, what that feeling was like, were you able to slow it down? How was it having the lights on you so often being in the final four twice, and then also being in the national championship? I just kind of want to know what those processes are like. Sure. So, I mean, our first year going to the Final Four was way different than the second time. Uh, the first time was kind of a surprise to everybody and a surprise to ourselves a little bit. Like, we we obviously, every team has the belief and the want to make it to the Final Four, but that year specifically, um, overcoming, you know, we were down, I think, 13 in Milwaukee at home uh, to Oregon and rallied back in the second half to win that game, put us into the Sweet 16. Um, then we come out to Anaheim, played Baylor, who was a tough uh, Big 12 team, ended up beating them by 20, which was a big surprise. And then we had that crazy game uh, with Arizona where Frank kind of went off and, and built his name into the spotlight. Um, but the Final Four itself, man, uh, I, I can't even put it into words. You know, that feeling when you run out um, and you realize, you know, 70,000 people are just looking at you. Um, it's an, it's an indescribable feeling. I I'll never forget, you know, the first time I, uh, I walked out on, onto the, uh, court in Dallas when we were just there for practice, kind of just to, to shoot around to get used to the arena. Um, it was crazy, you know, because you have that backdrop, but the court is in the middle of the stadium and then you have so much people in the background. You have so much stuff going on behind, um, it's definitely an adjustment because it's not like that anywhere else except for like in the final four when you play in those huge football stadiums. Um, but the experience itself playing in the final four um, that first year was awesome for me because I think, you know, that kind of the game that I had against Kentucky kind of gave me confidence moving into my senior year. Um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a big senior year, you know, hopefully make a, make a good push and, 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 you know, be able to make some noise at the, at the professional level. You know, being that, you know, I was competing against guys who three or four guys that ended up going to the league that following year. Um, and then the second year, you know, it was a completely different approach. It was a it was a business approach. Uh, we knew what we were there to get done. Uh, our goal was to win a national championship. And that's kind of what we talked about all year. Uh, you know, if you listen to 
any media snippets or anything from the beginning of the season. You know, our goal was to win the Big Ten regular season, the Big Ten tournament championship, and a national championship. And we didn't – the whole season was kind of – we wanted to follow that plan. Um, and we did a great job of staying locked in, not kind of overlooking any opponent. Um, and, you know, you fast forward to – I think it was Michigan State at home on senior day, uh, and that's when we clinched the Big Ten title uh, in front of our home fans. That was an unbelievable experience, you know, being able to be honored after the game with, you know, three guys uh, that I consider to be my brothers now, and Frank, Josh, and, and Trey Jackson. We were kind of that senior class, but at the same time, being able to hoist the Big Ten trophy was so special, uh, especially in front of our home fans. Um and then you fast forward another two weeks later and we're I'm back in my, I'll say home state, but I consider it to be my home city because I spent so much time at the United center. Um, you know, I'm in my, in my home arena hoisting a, a big 10 tournament championship. And, uh, you know, when the tournament started, I'm not going to lie. The, the first round had a lot of upsets, so you can't help but think about it. Um, but I knew how talented and how good we were that if we just kind of stayed locked in and stuck to stuck to our game plan, we'd be fine. Um, so I think once we made it out of that first weekend when we beat, uh, I think it was Coastal Carolina and Oregon, that's when the nerves and the jitters kind of just like settled down. We're like, all right, we're good. Like, relax, just play our game now. Um, because there were so many teams that got knocked out early, um, you know, and, and, and that's the beauty of the tournament. You know, you never know who's going to win. You really never know. Uh, you know, we see, uh, what is it, UN, UMBC or whatever, they were, I can't remember their name, but who yeah, beat Virginia right. two years ago. Um, you know, it's, it's incredible. You know, it just shows how there's, like, less and less, um, you know, odds to predict the tournament. You know, there's really no favorites. You don't know who's going to win. You can't predict confidently any game. Um and so um, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, and then playing playing in the Sweet 16 that year, my my senior year was incredible because we played at the Staples Center. You know, arguably one of uh, one of the most like historic um, arenas in the country. Um, and so we took down North Carolina, uh, who actually that exact same team uh, ended up winning a national championship the following year. Um, and then. Uh, obviously had a crazy battle with, with Arizona again in the uh, Elite Eight where uh, we sh- we absolutely shot the crap out of the ball in the second half. I think it was we missed one three one or two threes in the second half and made maybe 12. Um, so it was, it was an awesome feeling, man, um, and obviously celebrated it. Um, that's the one thing that I'm never going to forget is the amount of support Badger fans gave us. Um, like, just thinking about it now, I've been across the world my whole playing career, like even if it's just traveling on vacation, and I kid you not, I've met Badger fans everywhere. Everywhere. Like, I'm walking on the streets in London going to see um, the, Queen's, the Queen's Palace, and somebody stops me like, hey, you played at Wisconsin, did you? I was like, yeah, I did. And they're like, oh, we just graduated from there. I'm like, all places you're in London. Like, come on. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so so obviously the support was, I mean, unbelievable. They traveled so well. Um, and at the Final Four, I think they said some sort of statistic where in the national cha- championship game against Duke, it was like 70 or 65% Badger fans. 
Um, so it goes to show you, you know, how much it meant to the, not just our fans, but to the state. Um, and it was just a really cool experience. I think people kind of rallied around us cause we were, we were the personable group kind of just joked around during interviews and people could really connect to us. Um, cause what you saw on camera is literally how we were behind the scenes and like with each other. Um, so I think people, you know, starting to appreciate that because you get, now, especially in today's day with, like, so much media training and stuff like that, players are taught to give, like, bland answers, not give too much and stuff like that. Um, but we just kind of had fun with it. You know, we just embraced our personalities. We had a lot of different characters on our team, and that's what made us so special. Um, and I think that's why the nation, uh, everybody kind of just enjoyed enjoyed what we had and, and joined the uh, bandwagon. I totally so. agree. I mean, you guys had one of the most fun teams and this is going to be a odd three-part question. It all comes back together. Um, but first off, are you, you're a Bears fan? Am I right? I am. Yep. Okay. I, I think I have an idea where this is going. Go ahead. Perfect. <laughs> because I am a die-hard Packers fan, and during that run, you took a picture with Aaron Rodgers, and I nearly melted in my seat. It was the most unbelievable thing. I thought it was the coolest thing. I just kind of want to know what he was like. And he, he's all in on the Badgers, and he was all in on that run. I know him and Decker are good buddies. Yep, yep. You, definitely, definitely. Could, could you call him the Did best quarterback of all time? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we ended up beating Aaron. Um, I'm trying to remember when. Um it was oh, after we beat Baylor in Anaheim, my junior year, he came to the game, um, and then we won, and he came to the locker room after, and it was just so funny, because, like, I'm not going to say I'm a diehard Bears fan, but I'm a fan. I root for every Chicago sports team, just because I like to see them do well, um, but I think my, my animosity towards the Packers did grow as I spent more time in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> as it just should. Because, because, you know what, it's it's tough. When you grow up in Chicago, you learn to, to love the Bears, you like the Bulls, you like the Blackhawks, and then you got to pick between the Sox or the Cubs. And so, um, you know, coming to Wisconsin, all they know is Packers. Like, Packers are number one, and it's by a long shot. Nothing comes even close. Um, and so just seeing how diehard people were, it was frustrating because, you know, I would try and talk smack, but I had nothing to back it up with because we would lose every time. And there was games where we'd be hopeful, you know, and I'd start texting people or, or whatnot. You know, it was ironic because I lived – so my my junior in – or actually all four years I lived with uh, Josh Gosser, who's from Wisconsin, diehard Packer fan, and Ben Bruss was my roommate. So it's us two Packer – or us two Bears fans against him, a Packer fan. Well, little did we know, but like 90% of the team ended up being Packer fans. So they would always come to our apartment or we would watch the games together. And almost every time me and Ben would storm out before the game even ends, just because we were so pissed and couldn't stand it. Um, but it was, it was honestly super cool being able to meet Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, I told him to take it easy on the Bears the following year, but I don't think he got my message very well. Um, no, he performs better against to- the Bears. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, it might, it must be the blue and blue and orange that he sees. It's like a, it's like a bowl in Spain seeing red. Um, but you know, he's he's a great guy. Honestly, uh, I actually ran into him. I think last summer. Yeah, last summer I was at a, um, 
a buddy of mine's um, like short film movie premiere in LA, and uh, he ends up walking in. And out of nowhere, he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? Um, and we started we started joking around, kind of just catching up. Um, and I came to find out that he kind of spends his off season in L.A. Um, so that was kind of cool. And obviously, it's crazy to show, you know, how far sports can take you and what kind of relationships you can build with people. Um, and I think, you know, even though I'm a Bears fan, I did. I'm not gonna lie. I did root for the Packers uh, just because you know hey. all those people who supported me, all those people who supported me were Packer fans. So once the Bears were out of the playoffs, I'm like, all right, forget it. I'm just gonna root for them, make these people happier, because uh, then it makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> right. Yes. So, uh, speaking of Bears Packers, I mean, we got a big year coming up. The Bears have been awesome the last two years. Packers have missed the playoffs. What are you seeing wow. out of the NFC North this year? Oh geez, man. Uh, I really, I really hope we continue to make that climb and the uh, Packers continue, continue to defend. But you know, the way the history shows it, uh, I have a feeling the Packers are going to find a way to turn things around. But I think we're still going to be, you know, too young and and, and too. Uh, our, I think our defense is too good. Uh, hopefully, we got uh, a little bit more weapons on offense this year, and then a, a more improved Mitch should be able to help us out and make a make a little bit deeper playoff push. Yeah, I loved what you said. I, I think the Packers are going to bounce back tenfold. And if Aaron, if you ever run into Aaron <laughs> Rodgers again and he says he needs an assistant, he's asking you for some reason of all people, just tell him, Roz over here, I'll wash his car, I'll do his laundry, I'll do whatever he needs. I, I, he's the guy. I mean, I'm not too religious, but if I had to put somebody up there in the high holds, it would be it would be Aaron Rodgers. Um, you actually mentioned you you literally are doing your own segues for us, which is perfect. You mentioned Ben Brust, and I wanted to kind of get into your teammates. Like you said, when you were playing basketball at your yeah. field, it was probably the best time for like the North Shore. I mean, we had Alex Dragovich at uh, GBN, we had Alex Ross at New Trier, we had guys all over the place. But you and Ben Brust team up at Wisconsin. I want to know. One, what that experience was like bringing the North Shore to Wisconsin, then also to kind of break down some of your teammates. Maybe the best teammate you played with, I'm not asking you to pick favorites, but some of the best skilled players you got to play with. I know you played with a bunch at, with sure. the Badgers. Uh, well, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Abdul Nader because he went to uh, Niles North, and he, yeah. he's in the league now. He's with OKC, so that's another guy uh, who ended up having a nice little career. Um, but, yeah, so – it was actually super ironic how the whole experience with Ben ended up happening. So I committed in November, and Ben was committed to Iowa. So we ended up having a showdown between us and Mundelein, I think, in maybe January or February of my senior year. Uh, great game. You know, we played a Mundelein battle back, won uh, it late in the fourth quarter. Um, and it was just super funny because we were talking uh, after the game ended. Uh, ben was like, hey, man, we're going to have a lot of uh, great battles in the Big Ten. I was like, yeah, without a doubt. And so uh, fast forward, you know, two months later, and Luke Leiter, their head coach, I think ends up getting fired. Don't quote me on it. But anyways, their coach was gone. And so that was the guy who recruited Ben. So Ben kind of reopens his recruiting. Um, and in April, uh, he ended up to, um, making it official that he wants to go to Wisconsin. And so, you know, going from planning on playing against this guy for four years, um, I get a phone call from coach Moore 
And he's like, uh, I got a question for you. And I was like, what's that? He's like, how do you feel about rooming with Ben Brust? I was like, I mean, I've known the kid since I was in third grade. So, yeah, why by all means? So Ben and I ended up being roommates in college for four years. Um, spent a lot of time together. Um, I will tell you his obsession for NASCAR is very real. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's toned down now um, that he's got, you know, working on his own uh, radio show and working with the Big Ten Network a little bit. But I kid you not, guys, if you came into my apartment on Sunday right around 11 o'clock, the only thing you are going to hear is engines revving, and it's like the whole place is shaking. Um, It was, I mean, it was crazy. He was such a diehard NASCAR fan, loved Kevin Harvick. Uh, It never made sense to anybody. We're like, you're a kid from Arlington Heights why do you like NASCAR? Like, what sense does that make? And for whatever reason, he just fell in love with the sport, fell in love with all that. Like, he was so fascinated with, like, driving and how they were able to do all that stuff. And I was like, hey, if it makes you happy, man, do what you got to do. Um, so, yeah, Ben ended up being in my room for four years. Uh, it was a great experience. I love Ben. Um, I'm trying to think uh, who of my teammates um, – I mean, that's the thing. Like I said earlier, we had a lot of interesting characters. Um, I think the guy who kind of leads that charge uh, would probably be Frank. Um, like, that individual is probably, like, the goofiest guy I've ever met, but also uh, he has no filter. So sometimes, like, he'll literally just say exactly what's on his mind. Um, but it's, like, usually, like, around, like, the proper people. So he's not going to say it in the media, but like around us, he'll just, you know, say whatever's on his mind. And I love him for it. Cause you know, it, you always know he's going to say the truth. Um, so I think, you know, obviously he kept things super lighthearted. Then we had like that, uh, freshman class that came in with Nigel Hayes, Vito Brown, uh, Jordan Hill and that kind of group. And I think that's kind of when Wisconsin basketball started to change. Um, because I'll be honest, like when I came in, I kind of had the similar personality to Nigel. I was just like a super outgoing, like loud. I'll admit I was a little, a little obnoxious. <laughs> um, and, you know, just, just trying to have fun. And the older guys kind of weren't having it. They were just like, look, you got to be more serious, this and that. Uh, and so my approach kind of changed. And so you know how it goes. Like when you have seniors who kind of show you the way, you start to emulate that when you get into that position. So once I started to be an upperclassman, I kind of did the same approach. But then these guys came in, and they're like, yo, y'all are so uptight, like, relax. And then I started to think about it. I'm like, look what I'm kind of turning into. Like, <laughs> I kind of got to get back to my old ways. So everybody kind of broke out of their mold, and that was like the beauty of that team is that we had so many different personalities like Nigel Hayes was probably the most sarcastic person you'll ever meet. Um, he is like the, the King schmoozer as far as he knows exactly what to say to make you love him. Um, like looks like that kind of the guy. Media. Yeah. The media just absolutely loves him. They, they ate it up. Like the, the whole stuff that he had with the stenographers where he said, Oh my God, she's beautiful. And then he's like, Oh wait, did you hear that? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Like, like he just, he just tore it up. So it was the way that we kind of gelled together is what made that team so special. Um, but I think, you know, as far as, um, talent and skill wise, I think Frank was probably the best player that I played with. Um, he was, he was probably a transcending player when you think about it, because at that time there really wasn't that many seven footers, 
um, doing what he could do as far as shooting a three, putting it on the floor, um, posting up, and you know using his footwork because he and, it, and it's not like he was an overly athletic guy or anything like that. Um, but he just knew how to use his body and, and create space. And it didn't matter who we were playing. Uh, we knew Frank was going to be able to get, get his work done. Uh, and he did it night in and night out. Um, but I think when you kind of look at the whole team, everybody kind of brought in a different, um, different weapon. And we had so many different weapons that you didn't know who was going to go off on, on a given night. And that was kind of what made us so successful, you know, because there was nights where, you know, even though we did rely on Frank heavily, he might have not, not had it or foul trouble or something. And then you have a guy like Sam go off for 20 or, you know, not, uh, me and Bronson come off the bench and add 20 uh, or you have Nigel have a big night. You just never knew or, or, or Gosser or Ben, uh, Ben Bruss or Showy when we played. Uh, North Carolina in, in Anaheim comes off the bench, didn't play the previous two games and has eight points in like six minutes. Um, so it's like, it, it, it's honestly a lot of fun. Um, that's what made our team so special is because everybody had a part in it, even though, you know, our rotation was pretty strict to like eight guys. Um, you never knew when that eighth guy might pop in or that ninth guy might pop in, but we always knew whoever was going to be on the floor was going to be ready to go. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously a special group, uh, really good group of guys, but very different personalities for sure. Right. Yeah, and Duye, you brought up, you know, playing with Frank being a, a transcendent talent in Wisconsin, and he was taken with the ninth pick in the 2015 NBA draft. And we wanted to get into, you know, your experience as a professional because we know that you were playing a little bit with the Kings there in 2015. And we just want to know, you know, what was it like, you know, finally getting that call from them, um, you know, being a part of, of pro basketball? Because that's, you know, something that not a lot of people get to do. So we, we just want to know a little especially bit about from Deerfield. <laughs> especially from Deerfield. <laughs> yeah, so what was that yeah, like you? Uh, you know what, man? Honestly, um, it was it was unbelievable. Um so to be completely honest with you, as soon as I, as soon as my senior year ended, um, I kind of just sat down. I went through the whole agent process, had to look for an agent and figure out exactly, you know, who I wanted to represent me, who would be a good option and all that. And as I was going through the process, you know, I kind of sat down with my dad and we were thinking, I'm like, okay, I averaged four points a game, uh, played 20 minutes a game, you know, two, maybe three rebounds or whatever it was. I'm like, that I don't think I have like a realistic chance of making it in the NBA this year. Like I'm going to have to go overseas and kind of show my worth um, because I felt like I definitely could have played more at Wisconsin, but we had the team that we had. Um, and, and that's just how things go. You know, not everybody's going to be satisfied. Not everybody's going to get what they think they're worth. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate. Uh, there was a lot of people who were intrigued with me. I think I had 10, maybe 11 NBA workouts, um, so I was traveling all over, um, and come draft day, I kind of knew I wasn't going to get drafted. Um, and to be honest with you, that's kind of what I was hoping for. Um, you know, yes, it is terrific to hear your name called after all that hard work and everything. But I think when you're a guy like me, who's on the cusp, you know, maybe getting drafted, probably not. Um, it's better to not be drafted because then, you control your own destiny. So you can sign with who you want. Uh, teams are going to come calling and it's up to you to decide where you want to go. 
Whereas if you get picked up, picked in the second round, you're stuck with that team. So it doesn't matter how well you do in summer league, you know, if another team wants you and they won't really want to play you that year, it doesn't matter because that, that team that you, that picked you has your rights. Um, so fast forward, um, to Sacramento and, um, Ironically enough, when I had my workout with them, I had Sam in my group. It was myself, Sam Decker, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and I think some small point guard from Long Beach State. I think it was Casper Ware or something. He was like a 5'9 point guard, 5'10 point guard. Oh, I got a um, shot, I think, so against the- him. 5'9? I'm, I'm rocking a nice 5'11. At least he won't dunk on me. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, was the, it was the four of us. Um, and the workout went well, the workout went well. Um, obviously you never know what to expect with that type of stuff. You don't know how guys did in the workouts before you and all that. Um, but the Kings ended up calling as soon as the draft ended, like, Hey, we really want Dewey to come play for us. You know, we think he's going to play a lot. Um, coach is really interested in him. He's like, we would have loved to have, uh, selected him in the second round if we had a pick, but we didn't. Um, so immediately when I heard that, I was like, okay, this is, this is a no brainer. Like I have to, I have to go with them. Um, and so, you know, I get to Vegas, we do our, um, little mini camp three or four days before, uh, Vegas. And then the game start. And after the second game, um, I get a phone call, um, from, from my agent. And so I'll, I'll give you guys the preface. So as I said before, you know, I honestly thought I had no chance uh, uh, of making it to the league. You know, obviously I'm going to fight for what I want. And, and you know, I, wor- I, I felt like I definitely put the work in. I felt like I was quality enough to make it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm going to have to go overseas, play, like play 25, 30 minutes a game so people can really see what I can do. And then I can come back and get a chance in the NBA. Well, and that was kind of stuck in my mind. So the whole time, you know, I'm telling my agent uh, as soon as games start, I'm like, yeah, make sure you talk to teams. Like, I want to end up in, in Spain or Italy, hopefully. Like, that would be, like, the two, you know, most ideal locations. And then I get a phone call after our second game, and he's like, yeah, he's like, the Kings went off you a contract. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's like, they want to they wanna give you a, a, a two-year deal. And I'm like, no, seriously. He's like, yeah, he's like, they, they want to see – uh, what like what like you can become? He's like they they don't think that you're gonna um, play that much your first year, but they want to kind of develop you and and see how things go. And so immediately I'm like, yeah, absolutely, like it, it's a no brainer. So they gave me a guaranteed deal right on the spot. Um, you know, we didn't they didn't announce anything. We didn't announce anything. We kind of kept it hush hush until the end of summer league. Um, and then, uh, I flew back to Chicago and within like two days, uh, I can't remember who it was, maybe Jeff Goodman or somebody started tweeting, Oh, you know, breaking news that do you do consigning with the Kings? And then the next day I flew out to Sacramento, um, and had my like physicals. Uh, I think it was, yeah. So I came in with Quincy AC and Seth Curry the three of us were signed together uh, on the same day and we went through like the physicals then had like a little press conference where like Vlade Divac talked about each of us individually. And then we each had like a minute or like five, 10 minutes in front of the media where they could ask us questions. Um, so, I mean, honestly guys, like to, to put into words, um, getting that phone call and, and knowing I got that opportunity, 
um, I can't, I can't even begin to put into words. Um, it was, you know, I grew up around the NBA. Like my dad's been a scout for 25 years. Uh, I grew up around guys like Michael, Scotty, Tony Kukoc. Uh, I went to practices damn near every day. Um, then, you know, when I got to be old enough, like nine or 10 years old, I was a ball boy. So I spent even more time around the NBA, you know, you know not just the Bulls guys, but guys on opposite teams. Um, and I was shooting around the arenas and I'm like, I gotta make it here one day. I have to. Um, and my whole life has been, you know, I really just wanted to get that chance to, to be able to put on that NBA Jersey and, and just give it a chance. Um, so to be able to have that opportunity, my, my rookie year was unbelievable. Um, and as far as, you know, my rookie year in Sacramento goes, I knew from the jump, I wouldn't get a lot of opportunities, um, just because, you know, I was young, they wanted to see me develop. And we had, when you look on paper, we had a, a really good team. Um, you know, we had, we had bigs with, uh, young Willie Colley-Stein, Boogie Cousins, Rudy Gay, Costa Kufis. Um, and then you have guys like, you know, Omri Caspi who played in the league for a while, Marco Bellinelli, you had Rondo at point guard, uh, you had Seth Curry, you had Ben McLemore, uh, like we had depth, we had guys, um, I'm hoping I'm not forgetting anybody. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, through, I'm curious Butler. if you ever like chirped like Willie Cauley Stein. Being like, "Hey, remember that time we uh, we took you down?" I don't know if he was on that team or yeah. not, but I, I know you took down no, Kentucky. No, no, he, he was. Good, good, he good. was. He was. Uh, so we were. We ended up being rookies together. Uh, so it was super ironic because I think my on media day. Um, we were like sitting and talking on the plane uh, right after media day. Cause we flew to uh, San Diego for training camp and I was sitting next to Willie and I was like thinking, I was like, Hmm, do I want to throw a cheap shot at him? Something about the final four. And <laughs> oh, yeah. cause I was like throwing a, I was putting up a, a post on Instagram. I was like, do I want to throw a cheap shot or what do I want to do? And then I was like, nah, you know what? I'm going to take the high route. And I just ended up like captioning something like the rookies or something like that. Wow. Um, but, but you know, I, I definitely did, uh, mess with him a little bit but it was it wasn't even me who did the messing it was one of our equipment guys Dwayne Wilson uh, an absolute character great guy but uh boy he loved to stir the pot um you know whenever we kind of had moments where it was just like us or you know we'd be in the kitchen he just comes waltzing in he's like hey Willie remember that time when you guys were undefeated you guys lost to a bunch of white guys <laughs> and then Willie just starts Willie just starts laughing I start laughing and uh you know, you can't help but, you know, because obviously they had an unbelievable uh, career. He had a great career. Uh, but now, you know, we were fighting towards the same goal, and that was, you know, winning a championship and, and doing something special in Sacramento. Um, but, yeah, that whole year was, was a great experience for me. You know, I spent uh, a lot of time in the D League, but I also spent a lot of time up with the, with the big team. So I, I got to kind of experience the whole travel life, being on the road, being a rookie, you know, having a – to do rookie duties, uh, having my vet, um, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm obviously super thankful to, to my, in, in my situation in particular, my vets were Rondo and, um, Karan Butler. So those were the two guys kind of, whenever they needed something, I would get the phone call, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning, whatever. Can you run and get me this? Or can you run and get me this? Um, so, you know, I, even to this day, whenever I see them around, you know, I see Karan pretty often now because his son works out at the same gym I do here in L.A. Um, and he's always asking, you know, how things are going, uh, pulling for me and stuff like that. And Rondo's the same way. Um, I'll never forget, you know, 
Um, Ronda was probably, in all honesty, one of my favorite teammates I ever had. Um, wow. That's, always, there, there's a lot of always, irony there from the yeah, sports so media that's, side. That's, yeah, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I brought it up. Like Even when I was in Chicago the year after I was with the Kings, um, you know, the media started bashing Rondo and any opportunity I had, I was like, look, you guys are so far from it. Like you have no idea. Um, when you talk about a guy who's like so selfless and just wants the team to win so bad, that's that guy. Um, like, I can't tell you how many times where, you know, he would play 40 minutes the night before and the next day we have practice and it would be considered like a maintenance day is what George Carl would call it. So it'd be like an off day for our older guys to get treatment and stuff. And then the young guys would do like a little bit of skill work and then we'd play three on three. Well, there was so many situations where we'd be short one guy or we'd play fours and we need one more guy and Rondo would come out and be like, yo, y'all, y'all need one. And we're like, yeah, but though you played 40 minutes last night. He's like, no, we're good. Takes your shirt off, hops in plays for like an hour and a half with us like it's no big deal and and the thing about him is like even if you're not playing like he he would pull me aside and be like okay dude this is where you get most of your shots but key in on this stuff and he's like do you know the plays i'm like yeah i know the plays but i'm like i'm not gonna play like i don't i'm not gonna get in he's like no man don't know forget that he's like you need to be prepared as if you're gonna play every night um and so there's like so many things that i picked up from him but the number one thing is that guy is brilliant. Um, the smartest basketball player I've been around uh, by far. Um, he's got a photographic memory. So once he sees something once, he's got it. You know, as far as plays and play calls and stuff like that, I'll never forget. I think it was my our second game at home when we played the Clippers. And um, Chris Paul is dribbling the ball up the floor and – Rondo's at half court and he literally turns around to our defense and is like, yo, watch the stagger for JJ side pick and roll with DJ. Literally CP after he says that make some hand motion or whatever you look double screen away for JJ Reddick came off the screen. And it was an ISO uh, on the other side with uh, Chris Paul and Deandre Jordan. And they ended up getting a steal from it. I'm like, yo, you've got to be kidding me. Like he knew the play before, Chris Paul even called it. Um, I mean, that's so, what I've I mean, heard. That's kinda... I've heard he's like, he almost doesn't need a coach because he's that brilliant. Like, he might go down as the smartest player to play this game ever. And that's why there's sometimes the, or at least what the media likes to put out there, the like headbutting between coach and Rondo. But I've heard he's absolutely exceptional when it comes to knowing plays and like kind of running the game of basketball. 100%. 100%. And that's the thing. Uh, that I think gets him in trouble is that he's too smart for his own good sometimes because it's like he'll outsmart the coaches and then the coaches feel threatened because it's like you're the player, you're supposed to be listening to me. You know what I mean? And so they feel threatened and that's kind of where things started to take a turn for, for him in certain situations where you know coaches didn't like that and they immediately start to shut down his ideas and stuff like that. But I think in Sacramento – you know, George Carl was pretty open to him. Like, they, they tag-teamed a lot of stuff. Like, he would let him talk, like, especially in film and stuff. Um, or, like, you know, if he noticed something at halftime, um, he let him speak. And I think that's great. You know, when you have a, a guy of that caliber that knows so much about the game, uh, you've got to, you know, entertain it and, and see what he has to offer. Um, and especially when he has a ring and he's played with guys like KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, you know, some of the, some of the all-time greats. 
you know, you can't, you can't help but be a sponge and just soak up as much knowledge as you can. Um, so yeah, you know, I think Rondo definitely got a, got a bad rep. Um, but I think the last couple of years, uh, in New Orleans and in LA, that's kind of, um, changed. So. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Duye. And talking about some other big teammates that you had, um, back in 2015, you got to play with Boogie Cousins, who I think is one of the better big men that I've ever seen in the NBA, especially when he's healthy. What was it like playing with a guy who was just that talented, um, could play so well, you know, off the ball, down below the rim? Did you ever to match up one-on-one with him? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. We uh, we would play one-on-one after practice a couple of times, and it was it was honestly there's there's situations where you literally can't do anything like his, <laughs> his body, his body type is so, so special just in a sense that he's so big that he can move you just with a bump. And if he doesn't move you with a bump, he's got like a little wiggle and some handle where he can like get by you and then use his body to shield you off. Um, so, you know, we are playing ones, he's shooting pick and pop, he's shooting threes He's shooting pull-ups, he's getting to the rim, he's dunking, he's drop-stepping. You could really see how skilled and special he truly was, uh, or is, um, you know. And, and, and for, for his sake, I hope, you know, now that he's fully healthy again, he can get back to, to where he was with those Kings and, and Pelicans days prior to that uh, Achilles injury. Yeah, and before we get into where you're at now, let's let's talk a little bit about the NBA and the state of it. I mean, I think this Cousins move, which some are saying is just the B plan because Kawhi went to the Clippers, I think this Cousins move to the Lakers is huge. I mean, they were awesome together, Davis and Cousins, and now you just add LeBron James to the mix. I think it's super dope. So I'm kind of curious, one, your thoughts on that, and then maybe three of the big moves that you think are going to be the most influential coming up this season. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I think that was a, that was a great move, especially because, um, you know, ever since the, the Lakers lost, um, Brooke Lopez back in the day, they never really had a five man who could, who could step out and shoot the three. Um, like they had, they had JaVel McGee, but he's not a, a three point threat. They would have Julius Randle play the five at times, but he didn't really shoot the three until, uh, he got to the Pelicans. Um, and so, you know, this'll, this'll be kind of the first time that they have a five man who can, who can step on and shoot since, since those days. So that's going to add a whole nother dimension. But then you look at it when you have a backcourt, uh, or a frontcourt of LeBron, DeMarcus and AD, I mean, that's scary because LeBron himself is already a matchup nightmare. Uh, and I won't even begin to talk about AD or, or DeMarcus, um, you know, and I think they've done a nice job of, of building uh, building around them, you know, adding some nice core pieces uh, with guards and, and uh, re-signing guys like uh, Rondo and, uh, um, and Caldwell Pope. Um, but I think the other two moves or three moves that I think are going to kind of take this, take the league by storm is going to be the, um, the obviously the Kawhi, Paul George, I'm going to put that together, that move to the, to the Clippers, uh, I think they're going to be scary. They're going to be really good. The one thing that I think they're going to hang their hat on is defense, just because you have, if you look at that starting five, potential starting five, let's say, of Pat Beverly, um, Mo Harkless, Kawhi, uh, Paul George, and uh, Montrez Harrell. Those are five guys that are considered to be top of the top at their position. Um, 
And, you know, me personally, I love Pat Beverly. I absolutely love that guy. The, the way, the passion he plays with, he's not afraid of anybody. You know you're going to get 150% from him every single night. And it doesn't matter how good his team is or how bad his team is. But now when you add guys like Paul George and, and Kawhi to, to help, it's going to be a whole other animal. And you still have Lou Williams off the bench. Um, you know, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see what, uh, what else ends up happening. But I think that's going to be, that's going to be a, very, uh, a, a team to watch. I think Brooklyn adding Kyrie, even though Katie's going to be out this year, I think that's big. Then they added DeAndre Jordan and uh, Garrett Temple. I think that the, the team that they've been able to put together is really good because um, you take a Brooklyn team who was, I think, sixth in the East last year, um, and you essentially keep that same roster, or you keep the core young guys, you trade, um, you swap Kyrie and D'Angelo, um, and then you add DeAndre Jordan and you add KD. And then you add, I think, uh, Garrett Temple as well, a solid uh, veteran who can defend the three. Um, and then you have a, a Jared Allen, a young big who's, you know, a prototypical five in today's age who can run up and down the floor, block shots, and plays above the rim. Um, So I think that team is going to only be better from what they were last year. Uh, And the third move, you know what, it's it's kind of a tricky one because I would say as far as what shocked me the most would be the Russell Westbrook move. But I don't know, as you know, I'm sure you guys have heard and thought about, I don't know how successful that's going to be um, just because those two are such ball-dominant guys. But I think, you know, being that they're both in the West, they've both had to deal with the Warriors for a long time now. They're probably frustrated, as can be, about not getting past them. So I wouldn't be surprised if one guy or both end up kind of loosening the reins on their ball-dominance. Um and kind of try and join forces and work work together more than they have prior to that uh, to try and bring something special to uh, to Houston. Um, and I mean, then, real quickly, uh, actually, about that, uh, because I understand that they're both ball dominant, and that's been an issue. And, I mean, people said that about Wade and LeBron when they did in Miami. Here's my take, and let's be honest. You've had a way more successful basketball career than I have. Last time I saw Coach <laughs> no. Just, he was yelling at me about having a horrible two-mile time. So that's probably where basketball ended for me. But be, them being so ball dominant and what we've watched before, they draw so many double teams. And you can't do that when both of them are going to be taking the ball up or have the opportunity to bring it up. I mean, it creates a lot of drive and kick, and I know that Harden would like to have the ball in his hand all the time. But honestly, it creates such a distraction. I think both of them can succeed in that system, and they've got a lot of pieces there. I mean, they kept Clint Capella. Eric Gordon's another shooter. That team, to me, I think is pretty sexy. I think they only got better, and I think they're a real threat in the West. I know. I definitely agree. I definitely do think they got better adding adding uh, Westbrook and, and getting rid of Chris Paul. Um, my only concern is that they're not going to have enough shooting. I know they shoot a lot of threes, but when you have guys like Russell and James, they're going to be they're going to need guys to kick to, um, and so you need you need three point shooting like that's especially a position that they need to have covered. I know they have Eric Gordon. He's been terrific for them. P.J. Tucker as well. Um, but kind of after that, they're going to have to rely on, you know, not rookies, but guys who, 
who haven't played that much. Or, excuse me, no, they have Austin Rivers there as well, and I'm not sure if Sumpert is under contract for this year as well. So they have some interesting pieces. It's just going to boil down to can they make shots and can they can they play defense? Because at the end of the day, Houston um, was always able to score. The question was just could they get enough stops? Um so it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see see how it plays out without a doubt. But I think you know you definitely bring up a good point. Um, you know with how dynamic and explosive those two guys are as far as getting to the rim and angles and stuff. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting process to see how defenses are gonna uh, try and cope with that. Yeah, and Duya, you brought up uh, so D'Angelo Russell earlier, who is no longer on the Nets. He's in the Warriors this year. And I want to get your take on where you think the Warriors are going to end up next season. Because a lot of people seem like they're forgetting about him. But, I mean, as long as you have Steph Curry, guys like Draymond Green, I think they can make a lot of noise. So I want to get your take on where you think the Warriors are going to end up in the West this year. You know what? Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I never like to count a team out. But... They lost a lot from last year, man, a whole yeah. lot. You lose Clay, you lose KD. Um, that's obviously huge. We're not going to have either one of those for, for all of next year. But I think the key guys that they end up losing are guys like Andre Iguodala mm-hmm. and, and Sean Livingston. Those are key key bench guys who provided, you know, especially Iguodala, always guarded the other team's best player. Um, and he was somebody that they could always rely on. Um, and you know, they haven't really, I haven't paid attention to it, but they haven't filled those gaps as far as, you know, signing bench guys. And then they end up losing Quinn cook as well to the Lakers. Um, they re-signed Jordan bell. Um, so I don't know. I'm not, I think if they can add some more pieces, maybe, but with the team they have right now, the injuries is just making it way too tough. Now, if clay was healthy, it'd be a whole different story. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think I think the addition of Willie Cauley Stein is a big one. I think Willie's going to do really well with them um, because the way he can run the floor and obviously the way the Warriors push the ball, he's going to have a feast of lobs at the rim from Steph and and Draymond and and D'Angelo. Um, but I think you know it's all going to come down to their bench because I think that's the that's the area they kind of struggled with in the playoffs and down the stretch. Like when they had a bunch of injuries, you always knew which were going to get from the starters. It was just that the bench was kind of inconsistent. Um, so, and, and then obviously you lose DeMarcus Cousins as well. Um, so it'll, it, you just got to kind of wait and see now who they're going to decide to fill those uh, roster spot gaps with. Um, but I think as of right now, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road because a lot of teams in the West got a whole lot better. Um, with pieces that they added and stuff. So, yeah. So we'll, we'll act as your bookies right now. And I know we're not trying to make you look like Pete Rose since you're still, you're still playing ball, but we are a gambling show. <laughs> if you we're we'll take the check off air. We won't post any pictures of it, but we're going to ask you to put all your money on one team right now to win the NBA finals next year. Who do you have? I'd say the Clippers. Ooh, he, he agrees with me, Wits. I, like, I'm on the I'm on the Clippers boat too, man. Looks like we're putting his check down in Vegas with us. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's the Clippers, but uh, there's a guy across town nicknamed the King that you can never count out. So um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the if a championship comes back to LA. I just don't know who. 
um, because I think both teams have kind of questions and concerns. Um, you know, with the Clippers, it'll probably be their depth. Um, they obviously have, you know, the top seven, eight guys. Um, but, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then the Lakers, um, you got to wait and see how those three guys can play together. Um, AD, DeMarcus, and LeBron. Um, so there's a lot of questions. Uh, you kind of got to wait and see how it all plays out. But if, if I had to put my money on it, not very confidently, but you know, if I had to make a decision, I would probably go with the Clippers just because of their um, ability to play defense. Yeah, and so we, we've talked a lot about the West so far, um, but I know there's a, there's a couple big teams in the East, you know, looking at the Bucks, the 76ers, the Celtics. Who do you think is going to make it out of the Eastern Conference this year? Um, I think it'll be interesting, you know, um, with, with Philly adding Al Horford uh, and losing Jimmy, that adds a little bit of a different dimension to their team. Um, but I think adding Josh Richardson was a great uh, replacement Jimmy, uh, not to say that you know he's going to be able to do what Jimmy does, but he's a similar type of player in the way, in the sense that he's a two-way guy. He defends and he can give you um, offensive firepower. Um, the thing for me is, is I'm not sure how well Embiid and Al Horford are going to be able to play together because I always picture Al Horford to be a matchup nightmare at the five. Um, so now my question is, are they going to put Al Horford at the four? Or are they going to put Embiid at the four? My guess would probably be that they're going to put Horford at the four, um, but which would kind of be interesting to me. I don't know how how well he's going to be able to do uh, defensively against some of the uh, against some of those mobile and pick and pop four men. Um, like he's done well against most of the fives, uh, especially like guys like Brooke Lopez and stuff like that who do step out and shoot the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a whole different animal when you're a four man, um, and you get guys like, you know, so many situations where Kawhi would play the four, uh, when you go small ball or guys like Draymond play the four or, or uh, Giannis. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that, how those things play out. But I think, you know, Philly is definitely a team to watch. Uh, they made some nice key additions. Um, I think the Bucks are going to be in contention again as well um they made some some good moves adding wesley matthews uh uh, obviously losing brogdon hurt but adding wesley matthews i think is a good uh a good replacement and then uh they're really making it a family affair up there adding uh robin lopez and thanasis so they got the whole uh family up there now um family nights uh, in milwaukee (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly um but as far as other teams in the east um yeah i think it'll probably come down most likely to those two um but i think one team that people are sleeping on in the west specifically is utah um i think utah is going to surprise a lot of people um with their addition of of mike conley and having him and uh donovan mitchell in the backcourt is going to be a very very intriguing uh uh, backcourt to watch yeah i mean it's unfortunate that we don't get to talk about the bulls at all since you were so tied with the bulls i think it's time we make your dad gm we call you up to the roster and we just have a whole (laughs) power dynamics shift 
in Chicago. Um, but before we get out of here, Duye, I kind of want to close knowing what's going on with you right now. If you have anything else to plug, um, feel free to do that as well. But we kind of want to know the state of Duye and who you're playing for and uh, what this upcoming season is going to look like. Yeah, so uh, right now I'm a free agent. Uh, I'm kind of going through that process right now. Um, I'm most likely going to end up overseas, either in Spain or Italy. That's kind of where the uh, most, of t- most of the teams that my agent is talking to are at. Um, so plan is, you know, to go overseas, hopefully put together a nice little resume, show people that I'm healthy, I'm ready to, to make an NBA comeback, uh, show my worth, and, you know, hope for the best. You know, um, so I'll probably head out um, to go overseas in late August, uh, play all the way until until early or early June, late May. Um, and that's kind of it right now, you know, just uh, kind of getting myself ready um, every day. Uh, I'm out here in L.A. training um, with with Chris Johnson, who's, uh, who's an NBA trainer that I met through um one of my one of my buddies, Jimmy Butler, introduced me to him three or four years ago. It's um, a good buddy to have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean Jimmy. Jimmy was great to me, especially like the days with the Bulls. Um, we we developed a relationship because I started talking smack to him about how Wisconsin always beat up on Marquette, um, <laughs> and he always kind of got a kick out of it, laughing and stuff. And I would send him uh, the score sheet of the one game that I was on the roster but didn't play, but we beat Marquette, and he was there. Uh, so he would always laugh about it. Um, but you know, I, he was, he was great toward me. Um, really just a great, great dude. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm out here working out, uh, we're playing, we're starting to play pickup this week. Um, and, and it's great for me, you know, especially being out here. Cause I feel like LA is the kind of the, the hot spot when it comes to working out in the off season, all NBA guys are coming here. Uh, so the pickups and stuff are terrific. Um, you know, all, all the big names are out here playing and the only way to get better and improve is to play against the best. So, you know, having the opportunity to do that on a daily basis is something I could only hope for. And I have that opportunity here. Um, so just trying to take advantage of it every day that I get. Um, hey, but man, yeah, that's kind of, if you ever need a five ten white Jewish kid from Deerfield to run, run with you. I mean, I have a severe sprained ankle right now. I just, uh, stepped on somebody's foot the other day in basketball. I felt like a true basketball player getting one of those injuries. But uh, if you ever hey, need you know me what? out there. Deerfield guys, Deerfield guys are always appreciated. We have always are well. We got that like breast, Brett just or Brett just wow, I was just like botching his name. We have his heart. He instilled all that. So I'm I'm ready to get on the court with you, man, and ask LeBron to come through because uh, I've got a bet I can get a shot off over him. <laughs> hey, say no more. Say no more. We'll have to organize it and put put your uh, theory to the test then. Right. I also think I can go pro after one of these. I mean, I think the right mm-hmm. scouts there they're gonna be like, wow. I mean, Duya was great out at Deerfield, but we really missed the gem on this guy. I mean, come on. Um, but yeah, hey, man, all it takes is, all it takes is one guy. That's all it takes is one guy to like you. <laughs> Heck yeah. And I, I, I see Jimmy Butler's like training Mark Wahlberg's son. So if he wants to start training me, I'm all in. I don't have Mark Wahlberg money yet, but someday I'll pay him back. It'll be an IOU. <laughs> um, we'll, so we'll work on that. Fair one. enough. But, um, yeah, man, do you have anything Will else? Do. do you have anything else to plug or anything? Um, I don't know if you are also like in the, mar- I don't know. I'm just going to assume marketing. Like if you got a brand or anything you guys, you want to promote. 
No brand for me, man. Just uh, just Duke Duken, and that's it. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show, and we appreciate you taking the time. Um, two lowly Deerfield alumni, and Xander and I. Um, but you definitely shine, and you make us look good, and where we came from. So I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Do you? No, thank you guys so much. You know, I got a lot of love for Deerfield. That's kind of where it all started for me. And obviously, you know, I have. I'll pass with you guys, you know, interacting with you guys on a, on a daily basis in high school and stuff like that, even after. Uh, so any way I can help, you know, uh, don't hesitate to ask. Yeah, thanks so much, Duye. We'll be rooting for you. Appreciate it, guys. Take it easy. All the best. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Thank you. What's up, everybody? That was Duye Dukin. I hope you enjoyed. A lot of uh, Deerfield chemistry there, and we got to hear his amazing story throughout college and his current professional career. I hope you guys enjoyed. We've got a jam-packed week this week. We've got another episode coming out for you. We're going to be talking the British Open in uh, Portsworth. I probably botched that, but it's okay because we're going to bring Jared Rubin back on the show to help us give you picks for this upcoming pool and major event. I don't think I'll be Team Tiger, but we'll just have to see where it goes. Again, absolute pleasure talking to all of you guys. Reach out to us. We are on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you can find us. And get our podcast at Spreaker, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And we'll see you guys soon. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.